Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what is happening at the movies. And there's a movie called The Happy Prince, which I love from start to finish. And it stars my friend here, Rupert Everett, who also decided to direct it. <laughs> not voluntarily, <laughs> I mean, though. Not voluntarily, okay. <laughs> but, well, why should I say it? Rupert, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for I having should. me. Well, Oscar Wilde has been in your life <laughs> more than at The Happy Prince. You somehow done some of the films that plays that have been made from Oscar Wilde stories. Right. Played him on stage before in Judas Kiss. Now the Happy Prince, the the end of Oscar Wilde's life. What? Where does that obsession come from with this guy? Well, it didn't really start off actually as an obsession. Uh, in about two thousand and seven, I think it was. Um, I wasn't getting very much work, and I'd started writing books, and I'd always imagined, like, God, it would be amazing if I could segue that into writing scripts, and maybe a part for me, and I could kickstart things and elbow my way back to the middle, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, so that was really my initial aim. And I, I, when I was thinking of who I should try and play, and what would be the most that people would kind of appreciate me uh, doing if, if I had an audience, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that was was interested, and I thought, well, Oscar Wilde for me, is a kind of patron saint figure, almost actually a Christ uh, of, the, of the gay liberation movement. And uh, since I'm a part of that, uh, and uh, I've, uh, it's been a part of my career, and uh, I've, I've been um, you know, a gay man uh, negotiating uh, uh, a career in a largely uh, uh, heterosexual boys' club, mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he's been, for me, a kind of Christ figure. And I felt... That's what I could really put everything of myself into when I when you when you make a when I made a film. Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of passion of Oscar Wilde, really, which is what my film is. It's a it's a deathbed story, but with laughs. With laughs, you know, we've got to because it's Oscar Wilde. Yeah, and the point but, about Oscar Wilde in tragedy <clears throat> is he was um, he was a tremendous survivor, and he really retained his humour. He retained his curiosity about people. He fell in love. He carved his own constitution in exile on the street corner, and kind of neatly replaced the movie stars and the royalty with you know rent boys and um, petty criminals, and held forth. To a, just a different crowd of people, he was a homosexual at a time where that was not even a word law, and it wasn't even a word. And that's where he's a very interesting punctuation point uh, between the two centuries, the 19th century and the 20th century, because before Oscar Wilde, there simply wasn't a word for homosexuality, and it certainly wasn't a debate that would ever, ever incorporate, for example, a woman of any class. Mm -hmm. Women just weren't talked to about those kind of things, and very few men would ever have talked about something like homosexuality unless you were one. And, uh, you know, Queen Victoria, when she made her law about homosexuality, she was so shocked when she'd heard all the stories, finally, from uh, her prime minister. She said, and then when they wanted to add lesbians to the thing, she said, no, 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 that's it. I'm really not. Men's one thing. I'm not believing this about women. And that's why there was no law against lesbians. <laughs> I want a scene of Queen Victoria. Doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that too. would be just... <laughs> but he has had had Oscar Wilde a, a mischief, just like you do. He did, you know? exactly. Basically, you'll push the envelope, you will find humor in things that aren't, and Oscar Wilde is finding that. He's been in jail. Mm. 
He's been in jail and he's continuously punished even after jail, really. So his, his liberty is another kind of jail. Um, and that's what's uh, fun about him because he treats it all. He's like the last great vagabond of the 19th century in my film. And um, I think he's a, he's, he's a tremendously charming uh, character. He just is. And it's in the work. And you show in flashback in your movie this audience that now finds him distasteful. Mm. But in flashback, they're watching they the importance yeah. of being earnest and going, yes, 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 you know, you're just the greatest there is. Yeah, and because now. at the time of his fall, he was called the most famous man in London, mm -hmm. which is, you know, globally now, it's, uh, it's huge. He was a huge, huge star. And I think that's another thing that's uh, wonderful about the story and touching is that uh, it's really a story about a star who is blinded by his own success in a way, because everything that went wrong for Oscar Wilde was his own fault. Uh, he brought it all on himself. And he brought it on himself because once you become that biggest star, you kind of have the idea that the world is a satellite. The rest of the world is a satellite to your main planet. And uh, mm -hmm. so he completely uh, misunderstood the, the feeling of the day, what would happen, and, uh, and you know, he destroyed himself, essentially, in one sense. But he wanted to live as who he was. No. When he, when he got into trouble, he decided to, take, uh, to issue a libel action to the father of his lover, mm. who'd written him a letter simply addressed to Oscar Wilde posing as a sodomite. So uh, that, what he did then was to take that man to court for libel, mm -hmm. i.e. inferring to, that he wasn't a sodomite. Mm -hmm. And that's when everything went wrong for him because um, he went to a lawyer um, after this, his second trial collapsed. And the lawyer said, if, I'd, if you'd come to me at the beginning, I'd have told you to tear up that card and just you know, calm down. Mm -hmm. And that's what he should have done. And he'd have uh, had a long career. But instead, he engaged the law, and it all turned on him. You called the movie The Happy Prince, which is a story Oscar Wilde wrote. It was a children's story. Right. Yeah. What was that story? And when was the first time you encountered it? That story is a very important story to me personally because it, um, I, one of my first proper childhood memories, uh, aged about, I should think, but really good memory, is um, when I was about five or six and my mother was reading to me The Happy Prince in bed. And I remember it very clearly, mostly because that relationship you have with your mother at that point is one of the most comfortable and wonderful relationships you have in the rest of your life. You're protected. Yeah, mm -hmm. and loved, and there's no secrets, and there's no problems, and you mm -hmm. haven't even discovered problems. And my mum was in her Jackie O period, and she had big white earrings and short hair and a mini dress, and I loved all those clothes and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And um, she read me The Happy Prince, and I can remember her saying, swallow, swallow, little swallow. And I come from a very um, traditional military background, so we didn't ever say things like I love you in the morning and the evening like you all do over mm -hmm. here and we do now too we were much more stiff upper lip than that so when we started reading about love and suffering and the price paid for love I mean this for me I was thinking my god these people downstairs they're missing something and then it kind of gave me a whole new outlook that there was another type of world uh, uh, possible to get to not that I understood what it was but I thought something uh, something's up that's not just about talking about you know the second world war <laughs> no, it's just a lot of other things. Yeah, happen. there's a lot of other things going on. It's, it's fascinating because in your own career, in your own life, you have so much success in the mainstream. There was that period where you were doing My Best Friend's Wedding, Julia Roberts, you worked with Madonna. You, uh, in Shrek, you got to be the Prince Charming. Mm. 
And then you did your independent movies as well. But I remember at the time you said that being gay hurt your career at the time. Well, I don't think it's ideal if you want to achieve world domination uh, in show business. As and you know, we all do. And don't every we? young actor yes. going in there, mm -hmm. their main idea at the start is to achieve world domination. Mission. Naturally, you think, you hope that you're going to be the biggest star ever. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's your constitution with the whole thing. Uh, so if you want to be that, it's fairly complex particularly in the 1980s, also the 1990s, and really, you know, things are changing now, but it's essentially, um, it's, it's not ideal. I think that's really all I've ever said. Um, it's a choice people have to make. In making that choice, did you think your career was hurt? Well, not the thing is, I was lucky in one <coughs> sense to kind of establish the, uh, the brand of the gay best friend uh, in that film or mm -hmm. to be allowed to establish it uh, with P.J. Hogan and Julia Roberts. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that had a certain mileage to it because I could play the gay best friend three or four times, but three or four hundred times and people would have got tired of it. And so what you need in a career is you need to be able to graduate to other things. And um, I think what happened then, uh, funnily enough, is suddenly the straights were all got their eye on the gay best friend roles, and, and <laughs> they took them and they nudged the gays out. Um, but unfortunately, we there wasn't. We can play it better. Exactly, <coughs> you can do it better, but we can't okay, no. do the other way. Mm -hmm. That's impossible, according to I don't know some unwritten <coughs> law. So all the straights are, are, are amazing at playing gay, but none of the gays, uh, on the whole, historically, have been allowed to play straight. So it's very difficult. Eventually, things come to a halt. I mean, it has changed, but it hasn't changed fundamentally. Things are changing. Everything's <clears throat> up for grabs now. And I think that's the exciting uh, thing about our times. And everybody uh, has a voice as well to, to say things, which po possibly you couldn't say before. So I think things are changing. Look what's happening in, in terms of, uh, well, a whole LGBTQ culture mm -hmm. in the States, uh, just from RuPaul to Troy Sivan to a, um, a transgender senator, possibly. Uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton of movement. Uh, there's, a, there's a historical current, I think, that's moving things in a direction. Um, so I think things are changing. At the same time, uh, you know, we live in a strange world now, and things okay. can change back. Uh, so uh, I feel that my film... <coughs> Uh, is a is very good film for Trump's America because uh, it's a story of someone... I doubt that he would think that, but... <laughs> it's a sure. story that, okay, it happened 100 years ago, <laughs> but actually, today, right now, it, it's, uh, the story of Oscar Wilde is about halfway only across the spectrum of the, the gay global experience because in probably three-quarters of the world, uh, it's still a daily life-and-death challenge uh, to be a gay or a lesbian or transgender. So I feel um, that there's something about this Oscar Wilde story that still echoes and talks very strongly to our world today. When you were just starting out, and I remember seeing you in another country. Right. So it is playing, you're playing a, a gay role in that movie. Did it, was it in your head at the time that I have to play something else in order to have this career? I have to do these straight roles? Well, when you're young, you don't really know what's going on about anything. And uh, I'd done that, that, that role in another country in a play, mm -hmm. and it became a movie. I felt I was uh, in A Star is Born, uh, in a way. I mean, you know, at that point, when you're 23 years old, it's all happening. You don't have much of an overview about anything. 
Uh, you don't really know what the real world's like until you get there, and even then, you're 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 you know you're kind of at water level. So you, you, it's, it takes you years in something as complex, a jungle as complex as show business, to under, really understand or begin to understand what's <laughs> actually is going on. I was struck because uh, he doesn't have a big part in the movie Colin Firth, but when he comes in, this was the guy that started with you in right another in another country, country. Mm. and then you both had done Saint Trinians, right. <laughs> Which is just the wildest kind Contrast. of drag, I don't know, everything in that. Yeah. Do you two laugh about, you know, <laughs> what and how the world has been going? Well, that's the funny <clears throat> thing about careers, isn't it? You mm-hmm. know, when you start off, particularly when you do have those ideas of world domination and being, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. romantic everywhere, cut to 25 years later, you're a drag queen <laughs> in a kind of uh, a weird children's comedy romp. Uh, uh, yes, of course, you have to laugh. You have to have that. But it's the exciting thing about a career, actually, in show business. And also, keeping going is a wonderful thing. I don't know whether you feel that, but after you've been in it for so long and you start knowing people for so many years, mm-hmm. it's rather sweet. It's, you know, you get you refine someone five years and you haven't seen them since five years mm-hmm. and you can, you've got things to talk about, the past, the future, what the, everything's like now. It's very, that's really fun. For me, you know, Colin... Uh, standing by me with my film because uh, you probably know this but all the financing when you go and get money for films Mm -hmm. they say who's in it and I always kept my fingers crossed and said Colin Firth I spoke to him on the telephone this morning and he said when are we starting you know he's that keen had you spoken to him no of course not (laughs) (laughs) and um and so the fact that he did stick with me when, you know, the, uh, when if he hadn't, uh, the whole thing, you know, might have collapsed was really the act of a great friend. And um, I'll never be able to repay him because um, the film really would not have, hap- would not have happened without him. Yeah. When you're a kid, you just described a little about a military background, uh, a sense of things that were spoken and other things that were unspoken. How, when did the idea hit that you would be an actor, that you would be involved in this? Um, as soon as I saw Mary Poppins. Of course, uh, that just uh, starts so many careers. <laughs> right. um, I went to the cinema in a town called Braintree in Essex. It was called the Embassy Cinema. And mm-hmm. I'd never been in a big space like that. <laughs> and I'd never seen those. I don't know whether you had them here, but we had kind of crimson silk curtains with light at the bottom and an organ playing. Uh, and th- in this huge space, the smell was smelling of cigarettes, and people smoked in those days. It was very pretty. The smoke went up uh, uh, in tendrils across the screen. But anyway, watching Mary Poppins changed my entire life. And then I decided that my parents weren't my parents, and that Mary Poppins was my mother, and I was her daughter. So obviously things were. <coughs> That's great. And yeah. then the therapy started shortly <laughs> after. Well, then I convinced all my <coughs> school friends uh, mm-hmm. that this was true. And then, yes, the therapy uh, began. I didn't want to ask you exactly <laughs> what age this was. <laughs> Quite young. I mean, six, five or six. Five or six, yeah. yeah. So you can convince anybody of anything. Yeah, and exactly. once you did that, you could say, I'm an actor. I'm ready for Then I realized a little bit later that was acting. <laughs> well, didn't feel like acting at the time. I believed it, you see. Well, that's the key to everything. Yeah, exactly. It? That's the key to acting. But you never, you never achieved your dream of being Mary Poppins. Maybe St. Trinian's got you a little close. I, I, I did pretty well, though, because finally, uh, when my career, um, in, in, about, in, in, the mid, in my mid-twenties, a guy called Andrei Konchalovsky made a film uh, of Duet for One, mm-hmm. uh, the, the play about... With um, Mary Poppins. With Julie Andrews. Yes. And I got to play her violin, violinist protégé. 
so uh, it was like that was like I didn't need the therapy anymore because this is <laughs> this was therapy in action. Um, dreams come true, people. Tre- dreams come true, <laughs> true. but in a staggering way <laughs> because we both had to play the violin, mm-hmm. and I did play the violin except I lied. Uh, I said, no, I haven't learned the violin either. So when we went for our violin lessons, the first thing that happened was that Julie was very impressed because I, I learned it really quickly. <laughs> and so she felt I must be uh, very musical. And I managed to worm my way in there. And actually, she was amazing. We're still friends because then we were in the Shrek films as well. But, I mean, the end product of that is we played the Royal Albert Hall together, the Bach double violin concerto, two playback, with an orchestra. I had to knock on her dressing room door, which is at the bottom of the Albert Hall, and the steady cam was in front of us with the whole crew. And uh, she came out of the dressing room. She said, darling, I love you. It was like being in, honestly, uh, in a, on an a acid trip or something for me. <laughs> and then we walked up through the passages and we went up onto the stage. The whole audience of the Albert Hall stood up and cheered. And then the, the, the conductor went tick, 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 tick. And we both stood there. And I, I just was tripping. I thought, this is, this will, life will never get any better. No, you're back to that being that child yeah. who says and I'm it's playing all the Bach double violin concerto right. with Mary Poppins. Did you tell her of your passion for Mary Poppins and I did. how seminal it was to? I did. She, at first, she was a bit shocked, uh, <laughs> but uh, but she came around <laughs> to it by the end. <laughs> she had no choice. <laughs> she said yes. By the I time know. we were in Shrek, she came around. <laughs> it just takes time. But you see, that's the thing about longevity <clears throat> and careers. In the meantime, we were also in a film with PJ Hogan, Unconditional Love, mm-hmm. and uh, then we were in the Shrek movies, and it's wonderful. And then sometimes now she uh, writes me notes saying mummy at the bottom. She's, she's got an extraordinary uh, personality and charisma. And some wickedness, too. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and some so wickedness. She does have that. Mm. When you look at your, the work that you have done, what are like the three or four things that stick on your mind, not because they were huge successes, or even failures. Remember that Bob Dylan thing you did? What was that called? Hearts of, Hearts of Fire. I keep wanting to call it Hearts of Palm. No. But well, no, it's, it's, hearts of, it's Hearts of Fire. It's not Hearts of but Palm, every, and you know it. <laughs> but I like the way it sounds. Right. It should have been that. It's Hearts of Fire. But when you have ups and downs in a career, sometimes you can learn more from oh, the, the things that didn't work. Yeah, the downs are much more yeah. fertilizing yeah. for a career because they throw you back on yourself. Yeah. And then you have to fight. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, personally, life is best as a struggle. I don't think uh, life was designed to be completely kind of green lights all the way. Because struggle, certainly in a creative person, it really forces you to come up with something. Uh, Hearts of Fire was a perfect case in point. It was a complete turkey when it came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a ca- career-side uh, move for, on my behalf uh, that it took me years to stagger back uh, from. But at the same you time... You and Bob Dylan don't get together and discuss the experience. I have discussed it with Bob Dylan, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, working with Bob Dylan, it was all in the same year. I went from Julie Andrews to Bob Dylan, Dylan. and that's why I thought, really, I should have. it was a good retiring point because I mean things couldn't really get any better uh, than being with Bob Dylan and Julie and Julie and Julie yeah so what are those <clears throat> things that you've done on film and on stage that well, stick with you for the reason that you learned something from learn something from well I don't know I'm thinking when I think of playing the Maple Leaf Stadium in uh, Toronto with Bob Dylan mm-hmm. which is what we did that uh, stays in my mind as uh, just the most, you know, wonderful uh, memory, and uh, of how weird and uh, extraordinary and the things life throws up to you, 
that was a great experience. Obviously, um, I think being in my best friend's wedding was an amazing experience because, first of all, I, I've got to be great friends with PJ Hogan, the director, mm -hmm. and uh, it, he was the first director I really, really, really got along with. Uh, very, very well. And we did another film afterwards, which was, uh, you know, really exciting mm -hmm. as well. Well, it's always great to talk to you it's because nice you have, um, I think you have the right attitude toward what you're doing, wanting to do it, know what the problems are, and basically try to build something from it. You have to be practical. Exactly. You and can you dream, but you, you have to be practical about how it's There's no point done. dreaming after a certain age, it's undignified. I think dreaming <laughs> is for being younger, being practical <laughs> is better <laughs> at my age. <laughs> yeah, stop with the dreaming, just go on and do this. Well, this is the first time you've been on the show, Rupert, so you don't know that we end in song. Oh, right. Yeah. We do? We do. Okay. Well, you do. And I sit here and smile. I have to sing a song. A little bit. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to sing the song from my film. Perfect. I thought you were going to do a spoonful of sugar and just make it all Mary Poppins. Oh. Yeah. Early each morning from the steps of St. Paul's, the little old bird woman comes, ding dong, in her own special way to the people she calls. Come by my bags full of. Can't be done. Something. Crumbs. Crumbs, okay. Come by my bags full of crumbs. Come feed the little birds, show them you care. La na 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 na. Can't remember the nurse That was for you, Julianne. That was for you, Julianne. It really was. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Great.